Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. How many of you have ever thought, well, if, I'm, if I don't reach the masses for Christ, I'm failing as a Christian? Has anybody ever thought that? I th- I've thought that. If I, don't, if I don't see hundreds of people saved, I'm failing as a Christian. And we live in condemnation and guilt as believers sometimes because we're not reaching the masses individually. And sometimes our grandiose idea of soul winning prevents us from really just reaching the one. So I want to encourage you through this teaching to really begin to find... Uh, the one, and I would say in the, in the start of your homework as you go home tonight uh, to do, is to identify the five people, five people, and, and I wouldn't go more than five, and I wouldn't go less than one, <laughs> um, obviously. I would encourage you to find, find those people, list those people that God's placed in your life uh, to reach with the gospel. And those are, uh, there's a box on your notes for that. It's your five friend focus is what I call it. To identify your five friend focus. This is something that's not in the book. This is something that I'm giving you. And that's why I do notes. You'll notice this also is I'm going to give you additional things that are not in the book. I would encourage you to get the book. We are sold out. Uh, but Jen is taking orders for more, so if you haven't got one, she will just tell her that you need one, and we'll make sure you get we get you one. <clears throat> but um, I'm recording, I think, aren't I? You have to put, a, put it on hold, or else it'll turn off. This one. Yep. Sorry, modern technology. <laughs> We have modern technology in my pocket, and we're using a you know a notepad. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um, so I would encourage you to get this. If you don't have one, see Jen, and she will order you a copy. But uh, I will give you reading assignments based on what the note the notes are on. So usually I will teach and then say go read. Uh, so like tonight we're covering chapter one type information. So take this home and read chapter one. If you've already read chapter one, then you're ahead of the game. Um, you are overachiever. Congratulations. So um, so I will let you know in your notes how to do that. But anyway, so those books are available. Uh, Five Friend Focus, we talked about that. We talked about your homework, reading chapter one in Evangelism Explosion. And a couple other books that I just want to make you aware of. Again, if you take uh, Introduction to Missions, you'll get more of these type books. But one of them is R.A. Torrey's book on how to bring them to Christ. This is a great book on practical soul winning. R.A. Torrey, How to Bring Them to Christ. And I'll, I'll pull notes... I love reading. I love researching. So you'll notice in my notes that as we go through this, I will pull all sorts of information from all different places. And this is one of those that I would recommend. Reiner Bonnke's got a book called Time is Running Out, I believe is the name of it. I'll have to look. But anyway, that it's another great book. We're actually using it in, in 
um, the missions class. And then the other one that I highly recommend, we just ordered more of these for Bethesda because we're also using this in Intro to Missions, is Dawson Trotman's Born to Reproduce. Billy Graham uh, Association produces these. They're actually out of print otherwise, so Billy Graham has picked them up and prints them. But it's a great little mini book on Born to Reproduce. We're born to make disciples. Um, so this is a great book as well. We just ordered more for Bethesda, so you can buy those at the Resource Center. The other thing I'll mention too about the Resource Center while you're jotting that down is we're all about equipping everybody for the work of the ministry. Shocking. That's like, isn't that what the Bible says? So anyway, so we're all about that and that's really what the Resource Center is all about. We want to give you resources that you can take home. It's not about us trying to make money. Believe me, we do not make money on the resource table. We just, we ba- we basically cover our cost. Um, so we're not really making money on that. So if anybody says... <laughs> Well, it's the house of God, and you aren't not be selling things. Well, first off, we're not in the sanctuary, and we're not trying to rip. We're not trying to rip you off either. <laughs> that was part of Jesus' problem with the buying and the selling. We're not ripping you off. We're not. You know, we really are trying to resource you. We're not making a lot of money off of it. Like I said, we're covering our costs, but we want to give you resources um, that are in line with what we're teaching and the equipping we're giving, so that you can read it on your own. All right. Now that I've gone through all the formalities, let's go ahead and jump in the notes. Any questions so far? The audit of this course. We've already done street evangelism. The, the, the missions course or this course? This course. Uh, we're all auditing. <laughs> but you, right, but the, uh, the intro to missions, you can audit, and which means you're not taking it for credit. Uh, yeah, the college. That's all. Oh, this course. Yeah, there's no, I mean, you can not do the assignments if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah wasn't real successful. They said, we're safe. Can you give us a dollar? <laughs> Can you give happened. us a <laughs> Nice. Nice. Well, hopefully we'll give you some resources and some some deeper revelation to use. Uh, and and not that they're, those were bad, but yeah, some folks... Our emphasis, let me say this in response to I think that's a great point. Our what I hope that you walk away with, and, and street evangelism is great, and I, I, I'm all for street evangelism. Heather and I have done. Yeah, we've done right. We've done street evangelism. We've done street evangelism in the middle of Mardi Gras. Uh, you know, all of it. I mean, we're from New Orleans, so we've you know we've been in the. We, yeah, we've been in all of it. We've dealt with the fortune tellers, the witches, the warlocks, the wizards, the the. Uh, Decadence and all of those things, we've, we've been out there. So we know all about that. And, and we love street evangelism. But I want everybody to leave with the one. Who's the one in my life that God's yeah. placed in my life? If you can get that, that will be revolutionary for your life. So anyway. All right, number one, every Christian is a witness. So I want to talk about tonight, every Christian being a witness, you're engaging. Jesus' first commission to his disciples was, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. men. So here he is applying uh, what they did in the natural. They were fishermen, right? And he takes their natural skill and says, I'm going to take what you do in the natural and use it supernaturally. And so I would say, even if you're an attorney, or if you're a mechanic, or if you are uh, a stay-at-home mom, whatever it is that you do, 
do it unto the Lord. You are a fisher of men, so to speak, in that occupation. God has placed people around you right where you're at to impact for the gospel. And uh, there are, uh, we all know this, everybody's watching your example anyway. Everybody watches everything you say, you do, just by them knowing that you're a Christian. They're already watching. So the question, therefore, is what kind of example are you giving them? What are you living out before them? And then Jesus' last commandment, which is our, our mission statement or our verse for our church. It's a vision for our church. But you shall receive power, power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Or that word, remember, is the word for martyr. You will become my martyrs. Yeah, you'll become my martyrs to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. So Jesus' first commission and his last commission was all about soul winning. So everything in between, everything that Jesus did in this life in between the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry was all about souls. Of course, we know that's why Jesus came. In the Evangelism Explosion book, it has this quote, The first and most obvious principle, then, is that the church is a body under orders by Christ to share the gospel with the whole world. All right. Joe, what's, the, what's letter B? Where are we at? Let the generals fight the war. Let the generals fight the war. Now, this term... Uh, that is used in evangelism explosion. Uh, he references this term in the sense that the enemy has created this misconception that let the pastors, let the paid professionals go out and win souls. They're the, they're the ones that can do this. Now, I just want to segue here and I'm going to jump in my notes here a little bit to page 3 and we're going to talk about where it says pastors must equip their people, number 2 on page 3. Uh, this is something that's not in your notes, and, I, and this is one of those things, like I said, I'm, I'm going to randomly do this as we go through uh, this teaching. But I want to I help you understand uh, a little bit, first off, um, pastoral covering and the, the leadership of the church. Somebody have their Bibles. Uh, I'm going to throw out things here as we go. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's see, we're going, to do a, we're going to do a Bible, what do you call those things, Bible? Sword drill, thank you. Bible drills, we're going to do Bible drills. Who can get to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11? Mandy is on it, I heard her. The JBQ in her. Yep, she's JBQ in it today. What's, uh, what's verse 11 and 12 say? It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be Okay, so list for me the, the five-fold ministry. There's apostles, there's prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Okay, so we got five of them there. Okay, now read for me verse 12 again. Okay, what is the, somebody tell me, based on that verse, what is the role, what is the job of the fivefold ministry? To equip, okay, keep going, to equip who? Saints. To equip the saints for what? Hey, whoa, that was kind of, uh, we weren't in agreement. To equip the saints for what? Ministry. For ministry. 
Equip the saints for ministry. Notice the ministry here belongs to who? The saints. Ministry belongs to the saints, not the... You all follow that? So Paul's teaching here is it's not the generals that go out and fight the battle. It's who? The saints. It's the church that goes out. And so this has become the disconnect um, in, in, our, in, in not just our church, it's in churches all over. This disconnect has happened. And on page 2, um, sorry, I told you I was going to jump around the notes, but page 2, at the, at the bottom there, Clear, clearly lay, a clear laity split. Um, this is a quote from Evangelism Explosion. And Heather, can you read that for me? Sure. By A.D. 300, the church had shown tremendous strength and virility, virility and was spreading so swiftly that it appeared the entire civilized world could be evangelized by A.D. 500. But something happened. Emperor Constantine, in the year 313, issued <coughs> the Edict of Toleration by which the long agonizing persecution of the Christians was at last brought to a halt. In the following decades, numerous other edicts favoring the Christians were passed until at last the whole Roman Empire was declared by Fiat to be Christian. Thus, millions of barbarians flooded the church, bringing with them all of their pagan superstitions and heresies. They didn't even know the gospel. They had never experienced this transforming power, and of course, they could not go out and tell others about it. So little by little, the idea arose that there was a division between the clergy and the lady, and that this task of evangelism was the job of the professionally trained individuals. So they decided to let ecclesiastical George do it. The Dark Ages followed, with only a few bright spots in the history of the church since that time. This deplorable condition has continued down to our day. So does that give you a little bit of an insight where this, where the shift in doctrine here started? And so when you have uh, all of these folks coming in that were, were not really born again, the, the dependence on evangelism was placed on the fivefold ministry. And so I want to take a look at the fivefold ministry here real quick and kind of break this down for you and help you understand fivefold leadership and where you've kind of come in. So first off, before you can understand your, your role in ministry and what God's called you to do as a saint, you've got to understand the fivefold, the people that are equipping you. What's, what's my job as the pastor to equip you? Well, first off, um, a lot of people... There's, you know, <laughs> when you start looking at these names, we've abused the title and the role so much that in the church we're afraid to use these titles. You know, apostle. Oh, we don't want to call anybody apostle because most of the people who call themselves apostle, you know, have abused it. They're self-proclaimed. Now, uh, here's, here's, my, here's my thought on this. It's in the Bible. Just because we have a few whack jobs, does that mean that we throw out the doctrine, the, throw the baby out with the bathwater? Absolutely not. We have to understand it in its proper place. We have to understand what Scripture says about it. And just because we have a few self-proclaimed uh, loonies running around, uh, doesn't mean that, that this is invalid. It doesn't invalidate Scripture. Just like we have people that go weird with the doctrine of speaking in tongues, it doesn't mean that it does, it's not valid and not uh, real for our, our lives today. So it's the same here. So let me, um, 
kind of describe this. First off, for those that feel called to fivefold ministry or those that operate in fivefold ministry, I use that term uh, to describe this calling. Uh, fivefold, because it's five, obviously five, five offices, but that's, I use that term because it helps people understand um, the, the fivefold ministry. Because sometimes we say, we say pastor to really mean fivefold ministry. When we start talking about the role of a pastor and we say someone's pastoring or we start using that term, we're really talking about the overall ministry, not the individual office of a pastor. So I want to help you understand what this looks like. You, y'all follow so far? Okay. Um, so first off, we have the apostle. Well, let me say this too before I move on. <laughs> Uh, anytime you're called to fivefold ministry, anybody that's called to fivefold ministry, you are you are called to collective, yet maybe individual. Uh, and what I mean by that is this: everybody who is called into fivefold ministry at some point or another will operate in all five of these giftings, of these these areas of ministry. These are gifts. This is the gifting of God. It's a it's the act of grace of God on someone's life. It's not chosen. I didn't choose to be in fivefold ministry. There are days I wish God would not have chosen me for this job. Uh, that's the reality of ministry. Don't ever do fivefold ministry unless uh, if you're not called. Okay, so if you're not called to do fivefold ministry, don't even think about doing it because it, it's not worth it's not worth the headache. I promise. Um, so you have to be called to this. This is a calling. We're all called as Christians. Some of us are called to fivefold, and others of us are called to Christianity to be a saint, to be a believer, equipped to do the work of the ministry. Um, this. Let me also say this: just because you're called to the fivefold or not the fivefold doesn't make you any better of a Christian. Just because I'm called to the fivefold doesn't make me a better person. It means that I have the gift of God at work in my life for fivefold ministry just like, who can I pick on? Jewel Dean has the gift of hospitality operating in her life. Does it make me any different? My gift is different than her gift. The only thing different between her and I is that God's government is the fivefold. His government in the church, his leadership in the church is fivefold. So I'm going to carry a level of authority that's going to look slightly different. But other than that, that's it. Make sense? So let me jump back here. The fivefold ministry, I just said something that, uh, let me qualify and explain. The fivefold ministry is God's government, God's leadership in His church. Um, it's not the church board, it's not trustees, it's not all those political positions, elders, none of that. That is not the government of the church. All of those roles, the deacons, deacons, elders, all those folks are supportive of the fivefold ministry. Y'all getting quiet. Y'all, some of you are shaking your head saying, right on, brother. And others are like, no. <laughs> um, the, the fivefold ministry is God's government and his leadership. And, and uh, the, actually in our, church, in our board meetings and stuff, we've been discussing this. But the, the role of the board and the elders in a church are to support and cover the pastoral leadership, the fivefold leadership. And when those two begin to function properly, I'll talk more about this in a minute, but when those two function properly, man, what unity comes to the body. Yeah. When, when you have those two, those two things off, when you, when you have um, 
fivefold and your and your board and your leaders in in tension and strife with each other, you've got strife in your church, man. But when they're flowing together in harmony and unity, they're supporting the work of God and it's perfect peace. It's harmony. It's awesome. Um, and I think I think God, we have great we have some great board members, great deacons, yeah. and we'll talk about those those positions shortly. So this is God's government. This is God's authority in His church. These fivefold. Let's take a look at them individually. Now remember, anybody called the fivefold operates corporately, collectively, in all of these at one point. But, but sometimes you will find, or a lot of times, people who will function more highly in one area than the other. They'll have stronger giftings in one area, more, more in one area than the other. So, first off is the apostles. The word apostle means sent from... Um, and so it is. It is a person that is a, a it is a leadership fivefold ministry position in which the person is sent on behalf of uh, you know God you know ultimately to lead and to oversee the church. You know we look at the apostles. We think of the twelve apostles, and we often limit it to the twelve initially that we see in Scripture. But there are a lot more apostles than than the first twelve. You know, we see, for example, James, the brother of Jesus, was not even a disciple, and somewhere along the line, he shows up as leading the, the Jerusalem church. He leads the Jerusalem council as an apostle. So, so the, the apostolic covering was not just the initial 12. The apostolic covering is really, uh, I use the term father of, of leaders, father of, of the church. The apostle really begins uh, to take on char- characteristics of church planning, uh, ministry growth, expansion, multiplication, all of those things. Leadership development are some of the key gifts and ministries you see in ap- apostolic ministry. Um, make, hello? Does that all make sense to everybody? <laughs> okay. Any questions? And I'm just giving you general overviews. Prophet. So the prophet is, you know, we often have this idea that the prophet is the foreseer, the for, you know, the the seer and has the visions and all those things. And that's true. Prophets do have the have the uh, advanced warning, if you will, before from God that what's going to happen. But more times than not, prophets in in our modern, uh, you know, in the New Testament church and in our modern society are not the fortune tellers or the, the foreseers even though there are there are elements of the the foreseeing but it's confirming the word of God the spirit of uh, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus and so it is taking the word of God and applying it to our situation our church what is God saying in this moment for our church and for my life that's prophetic ministry what is it's a rhema word it's a word for right now what is God saying right now for the church and the direction we're going um, we have a guy coming in August who I would say operates he's a modern prophet and operates in this calling and so um, I'm excited to see what kind of ministry he will bring but uh, anyway so that's prophets evangelists these are the people that have favor with the lost. Um, it's you know, it's interesting to watch people who have this who have this call on their life as evangelists uh, and watch them interact with the lost. Great example of this. Um, how many of you are familiar with the Brownsville revival in the in the nineties? 
a couple of you. So if you watched, uh, if you if you're familiar with Brownsville and Pensacola, if you if you watch that uh, uh, the the dynamics of the leadership, because I'm I'm always watching dynamics of the leadership. No matter where we go, I'm always watching the pastors and the leaders and how they interact, what they're doing, and and how those things interact. Because just that's my call. That's my heart. I. I function in an apostolic ministry a lot and so that I just pick up on that very quickly and um, I watched in uh, with the Brownsville revival you had John Kilpatrick who really was in an apostolic covering and he I mean he was a magnet for pastors he would do these pastors and still does pastors conferences and pastors would flood to him to get his blessing, his covering, his insight, his teaching, his ministry. It was incredible to watch. And then you got Steve Hill, who was the evangelist, who was the Teen Challenge graduate, the druggie, you know, been there. And he would step up, and when he would minister, it was like he would open his mouth, and the sinners would just come running. It didn't matter, it didn't matter who you were. It was like the sinner, you know, the joke was in the 90s, how many Christians went down to Brownsville and got born again again. You know, it was just, he would preach, and it didn't matter if you had sin in your life, you were in that altar. Uh, because that was his calling, that was his gift, and so he could be in a in the masses and preach salvation, and you could have been born again twenty years ago living for Jesus. But if he was preaching and you had sin in your life, you were running to the altar, man, because uh, that was just his that was his kind of ministry. So it's awesome. That's evangelist uh, Billy Graham. You know, obviously we can, we can talk talk about names. Reiner Bonnke. Uh, you know, we, we can look at modern day evangelists. Pastors. Pastors are the shepherds. They're the under shepherds. They're the ones caring for the flock, taking care of the people, ministering, meeting the needs. Notice the difference. This is where we this is where we get caught up. People who are functioning in the word in the apostle, we just call anytime someone's called the fivefold ministry, we just call them what pastor. You're just pastor because that's that's our understanding. That's what everybody understands. But in all reality, uh, there's there's differences here. And then of course the teachers, we all know and understand that the teachers are the ones who are explaining, making the vision, making the word practical for us to live out. Um, like I said, all, all of the fivefold are going to flow in all of these at some point collectively, but individually they may be stronger than others. Now, in our church and how we lead, let me just kind of explain this, uh, how, we, how we function and where we're headed so that you kind of understand uh, the culture that is, is happening around us right now. One of the things that you will notice about Heather and I, and I'll, this is just a teaching on our church and just kind of personal time with Pastor Zach. I'm just giving you insight here. Uh, one of the things that you'll notice about us, and we don't necessarily make this happen, it's the mantle of God in our lives. But when we, it, it has never failed, any time that we show up in ministry somewhere, whether it was New Orleans or we're doing a missions trip, whatever it is, we carry, and you can ask anybody that's around us, we carry a mantle, a, an apostolic type mantle. When we walk in, people begin to get in alignment. We have leadership development. There's leadership structure. There's flow. There's organization. There's people who feel called to ministry. We immediately have people that are just drawn to... I, I can't go anywhere and have people drawn to me. I've gone to this Nepalese church. There was this young guy, you know, I was talking about this morning. There was this young guy, part of the Nepalese leadership team, and he feels called to ministry and I, I show up at the service this weekend and he's like stuck on my side, you know, the whole time, which is awesome. I don't have a problem with it. 
I, I'm comfortable with my calling and mantle. But he, he gravitated to me because he's called to ministry. He's young, but doesn't have anybody teaching him or training him. And that mantle in my life just kind of pulled him in. You know, this, this morning, one of, our, one of our new folks stopped me and said, I'm called to ministry and I want to come. And they're already... Why does that happen? That's, that's the mantle. Why do we, when we get here, we have immediately people start stepping, Angie and Joe and different ones stepping into a pastoral calling immediately. It wasn't, it's not us. It's just, it, it is the mantle of God on our lives. Um, so all that being said, what you're seeing kind of happen uh, behind the scenes and those of you that are involved in the church is, is that mantle. It's beginning to shape and happen. Things are being molded and shaped. And um, our, our vision, our direction, and, and our calling is to take on more of that, that apostolic role where we're the, we are the, the leader of the leaders, the father of the leaders. The, we're coming alongside equipping people to do the ministry. What do you feel like God's called you to do? Awesome. Let's make that happen. What is, what is God saying about that? When's the timing of that? What resources? How do we... The Dream Center. The Dream Center has been an idea in this church for years. We come on the property and it's already formed. It's already shaped. It's already happening. And, and they're having great success. We, in April, we've served over a thousand meals uh, to, to people in our community through the food pantry. I mean, there's awesome things taking place. So that's why it's, we're nobody special. It's just the mantle of God in our life, okay? So with that, you'll see things start to happen. Here's one of the things that's happening. Um, with the apostolic covering, for us, I, I want to zero in on this term here for a second if we can, the pastors. For us, pastoral ministry really happens in the level of area leaders. Now, if you remember when we talked about care groups, care groups are our small groups. And all of our care groups, and all of you are going to say, what does this have to do with evangelism? Just hang on the journey with me. It all makes sense in a second. Um, we have all these care groups, all of our small groups that are meeting. Every small group has a small group leader. Well, what we're, what, in, a, in a perfect world, those small group leaders, as a, as a leader develops and multiplies their group, uh, an area leader is someone that has, five, they're responsible for five, what we would say is five, uh, five different groups. Uh, they have five different groups that they're responsible for, thus they're an area leader. Really, pastoral ministry is the area leader. It's the person that's meeting with those small group leaders, caring for those people. That's why we always say small group ministry is so important because small group ministry really creates its New Testament. It's how they did New Testament church. It's those home groups, those home meetings, and that structure begins to create a place for leaders to be developed. It begins to create a place for pastoral structure and um, those area leaders then begin to disciple their five leaders, and those leaders are discipling the people. That's pastoral ministry. That's shepherding the sheep. Makes sense? And so that's really the perfect place for it. The pastoral ministry is less about who's preaching and more about the shepherding of the people. Makes sense? Uh, the pastoral leadership is more about the hands-on caring and, and meeting the needs. It's the hospital visits. It's the nursing home visits. All of those pastoral care responsibilities. The dilemma has been is we've just not seen true five-fold ministry in action. So we really lose the value of what all that looks like. 
So I'm hoping that we're seeing that restored. I believe that we're living in days where we'll see this this really restored, this Bible order set in place and really restored. Um, and when, we, when you do this, what happens, you have the apostolic covering, you have your prophets. Really, you know, a lot of, a lot of modern prophets and evangelists, they exist, but they're out on their own. God's never, this is a great point to make here, God never intended for these people to be out on their own. This is all under local church. Yeah. Uh, I have a huge problem with ministries that try to do it on their own and not come under the covering of a local church. And it's not because I'm a local church guy, uh, and I am, but it's, that's, how, that's how God does ministry. It's always been through the local church. There's always been that local church where all of the ministry flows under and comes under that local uh, apostolic covering. There's accountability. There's safety. It's not about the, uh, again, that's, it's not about the board. The board wasn't, you know, we don't see ever in Scripture church boards, church board, board, the term board, church board is a government. That's a government thing. <laughs> that has nothing to do with church. And uh, accountability, the accountability of people say, well, what about the accountability for, the, for these people? If the church board is not the accountability, where does accountability come in? The deacons were never the people that kept the pastoral covering, the apostolic people, the fivefold. The deacons were not there to keep the fivefold accountable. It's not in Scripture, not in the Bible. Who kept the, the leadership accountable? Go back, if you read, they, had, they would have council meetings where they would keep the, the ministers, held the other ministers accountable. Yep. We see a great example of this. Um, Paul, was it Paul? Yeah, Paul and Barnabas are out ministering to the Gentiles. Yep. Uh, and, and the great upheaval... The Bible says no, no small dissension arose among them. It was a big deal. <laughs> it was a big deal. And it was all about the Gentiles getting born again. The Jews were having a problem with the fact that the Gentiles were getting born again, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they called Paul and Barnabas on the carpet about it and said, Look, we don't doubt that God's doing this, but we're, we've got a dissension to work through here. And... Uh, Paul and Barnabas shared everything that God was doing among the Gentiles and everything happened. And that's when James, remember we talked about James earlier, that's where we see James really step up and he begins to prophesy from Amos 9 about uh, Paul's ministry. That he was restoring the tabernacle of David. And so, uh, so that is where the accountability comes from. With, with uh, Today, with our denominations and fellowships, ministerial fellowships, assemblies of God, all of those things, that's where that accountability comes from. Our accountability comes from the, our ministerial fellowship. And if you have somebody, let me just say this, if you have somebody who doesn't have a covering, you're in big trouble. Yeah. That's big, big trouble. Heather and I are, are big um, and going to be very, very, very supportive of covering. You need covering. You need ministerial covering. And the minute that you don't is the minute that you start getting in trouble. So anyway, this is, uh, this is fivefold. These folks, what we're doing is to equip you. Now that that gives you an understanding of the government, God's government and His church, our job is to disciple you and equip you to do the work of the ministry. My job is not to be the one out in your business winning souls. My job is to equip you to do that. Make sense? So everyone sitting in this room is a minister. 
If you don't leave with anything else tonight, I, I, my prayer is that you leave with the understanding that everyone in this room is called to ministry. You are called to ministry. So I'm going to go back um, to Acts, uh, page 1. Any questions on that? No questions? Am I, am I explaining everything well enough? Yeah. Okay. Uh, page 1, the early church. Uh, Acts chapter 8. Can someone go there? I want to read Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Another sword drill here. You got it? Okay, can you read 1 through 4, Jen? of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging, yeah, ravaging mm-hmm. the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Okay, who was scattered? The church, the saints. That's what I'm looking for. That was the word I was looking for. The believers were scattered. The Bible says the believers were scattered except for who? The apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem while persecution drove everybody else out. And what happened as a result of them being scattered abroad? They went everywhere and preached. Evangelism. Absolutely. And so... Persecution is not a bad thing. Persecution actually really fuels the fire for evangelism. And so if you feel like, well, what, what will people say and all those things, launch out. Just do it. And you'll see, yes, persecution will come. People will say things, but it'll fuel your fire uh, the more you get into it. So that's important. Uh, in Acts chapter, f- eight, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, on page 2 at the top, the word preaching there is the Greek word for evangelism. I won't even attempt to try to say the Greek word. Um, I do good to get the Greek words that I do, so, and I probably butcher those. But uh, the meaning there is to evangelize. Uh, Joe, can you read uh, number three, the early results? That is how the Church of Jesus Christ in 300 years accomplished the most amazing results. The whole pagan Roman Empire was undercut and overthrown by the power of the Gospel of Christ, which on the lips of Christ-conquered disciples, across seas and deserts, pierced the, dark, the darkest jungles, seeped into every city and town, and finally into the Senate and the very place of Rome itself, until a Christian Caesar was placed upon the throne. How? By everyone taking part in evangelizing. The, the Christian church was burgeoning with such rapidly, rap, with such rapidly that by the middle of the second century, one of the greatest uh, apologists could say, we are everywhere. We are in your towns and in your cities. We are in your country. We are in your army and navy. We are in your palaces and we are in the Senate. We are more numerous than, than anyone. Constantine knew very well whether or not he was truly converted, I will leave for the story. That he had no chance of unifying the Roman Empire or holding power in the empire without the help of the Christians. So what influence? I mean, how awesome that Christians would have such influence. How did that happen? Through evangelism, being scattered abroad. Um, Let's jump to page four in your notes. I want to talk about training soul winners. 
my hope and my focus here through this class and through these series of teachings is not just about teaching you in personal evangelism alone, but teaching you to become a soul winner. Uh, to make this a part of your life, to make this a part of your daily life, that you're winning souls everywhere that you go. Number one, we have to have, what does letter A say, Pastor Grace? On-the-job training. On training. That is your best source of training. If you'll just launch out, just launch out. You may not have, you may not feel fully equipped, but you're perfectly equipped. You have uh, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, everything that you need resides in you. You have an experience with Christ to begin to share with someone around you. We've had a lot of messages on evangelism, but as this quote says here, where is the army of witnesses? And so I would encourage you to begin to allow God to use you in a great way. Um, the greatest impact is to train soul winners, not just win souls. We talked about that. Con um, letter C. Uh, Jen, what does letter C say? Converts to evangelists, disciples to disciplers. Absolutely. Now, I just want to pause here and talk about that. Converts to disciplers, or converts to evangelists and disciples to disciplers. That's really our goal. We want everybody, when you get born again, you need to become an evangelist. When you experience Christ, you know, we had folks this morning give their life to Christ. Guess what their calling is now immediately? They're evangelists. They've experienced Christ, and they need to go out and win souls. Yeah. If you're discipling people, everybody in this room are to find somebody to disciple. Again, small groups are the great place to do that. Lead a small group. Everybody in this room is more than qualified to lead or assist or host a small group. And you, you do that, and you begin to disciple people. It's awesome. And as you disciple them, then you're making them, these disciplers, you're making them and equipping them to become disciplers. So you're saying, okay, I want you to go out and win people. And then when you win them, guess what? This is, this is how it works. Jen has a small group, which she does. She has a young ladies small group. Jen leads the young, uh, young adults ladies group. So Jen's leading that group. She has a great group. She's leading that group. And she's telling her group members, those that she's discipling, hey, I want you to go out and evangelize. I want you to go win souls. And so they're bringing in great place to bring them, small group. It's non-threatening. It's not, you know, it's not as intimidating. Maybe the first time as church would be, and so she can bring them into group. Or maybe they come to church and they're like, "Oh my goodness, I need help. I don't understand why are they praying in this weird language and lifting their hands and jumping and carrying on." Small group becomes a great place for them to teach and disciple them. This is where discipleship happens. And so they're doing this in small groups. And they come in and say, I don't understand what's this weird language. And Jen's able to explain to them with the help, with the help of her small group. See how great that is? You may not feel like you have all the answers, but you have a whole group of people who are going to take those baby Christians, begin to disciple them. Okay, we, now we've got discipleship happening. We have soul winning happening. Now... Guess what? You're going to go, I want you to go, and you're going to go with Jenna. You and, you know, this new person who's gotten saved, who's, who's on fire for God, I want you to go, and, and you're going to go out disciple. You're going to go soul winning. Sorry, you're going to go to uh, do evangelism. And Jenna's going to go out with them, and they're going to do evangelism, and they're going to help them do personal evangelism. And then, okay, great, you just got someone born again, and now 
Here's what you're going to do. You're going to disciple them just like you were discipled. So what are you going to do? Well, we're going to take them to Next Step 101. And we're going to teach them the foundations. We're going to go to Next Step 102. We have all this in place. The structure's there, folks. We have all of this in place to help you. Let's go to the next step for Sunday school. And you're going to get the foundations of the doctrine of, of what we believe. You're going to come to small group. You're going to be in services. All you have to do is walk them through. You don't even have to do all the teaching. You just walk them through the steps that are already in place. And before you know it, you're winning souls. You're discipling those new converts. Those new converts are now winning souls. And they're discipling their converts just like that. The best small group, the best small group you could ever have is at the home of a new believer. Doesn't matter what the home's like, just get it in the home. Have a solid leader in that home of a new believer, and they will, that group will explode. Why? How many of you remember when you were born again and the zeal that you had for Christ? It's interesting that that zeal tends to wane. If you can get with those new believers when they're passionate for God and you build with that zeal, and they're going to bring everybody they know to that group. They're going to bring everybody in. All their heathen friends are going to come walking in those doors. And you're going to be, yay, I'm going to disciple some people. That's discipleship. That's evangelism. Very simple. Um, So I'm going to encourage you, if you're not involved in a group, get involved or start a group. Because that's really where pract- where this where rubber meets the road. This is really where rubber meets the road. And I'm not talking about an event, because we have we have some some things that we would say are an event. You know, we have we have different breakfasts and meetings, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a home group where you're sitting down together and di- being discipled together, talking about Scripture, praying together, and working through the Word together. Make sense? Um, great example of this. What begins to happen then, um, like Leanne. So the other day, Leanne, um, we all of our small group leaders. This is so awesome. This is this is pastoral ministry. Leanne is pastoring through her small group. She's leading. She's discipling through her small group. That's shepherding. Well, she. Um, and she wasn't even at the group. Greta had led the group. And all of our small group leaders have an online reporting system that we use. And so you enter your attendance and you put in prayer requests, things like that. And then it generates an email to whoever the pastor is over that area. And then I always get copied in all of it so that I can see as a pastor what's going on in our groups. Well, I got Leanne's report and I'm, le- I'm reading through her report. And it was nothing big. And Leanne probably didn't think a whole lot of it when she typed it in. It was just something she was reporting on. But when I saw it as the pastor, as the fivefold ministry over this body, I had red flags go off. And it wasn't anything major. It was just my discernment that rose up in me and I thought, I need to check into that. There's something more there. So I just responded with a quick email. And sure enough, there was a lot more there. That once I got to the bottom, once I started digging, there was a lot more there that this person, we need to disciple this particular person through. And that's, that's why we have fivefold, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. So those groups really are... A, 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 and then I'm not going to turn Leanne loose and say, okay, go figure this out on your own. We're going to talk about it and say, hey, this is what we're going to do, how we're going to approach it. Make sense? Okay, so small groups are great for evangelism and discipleship. Uh, letter D, Jewel Dean. Miss Jewel Dean, can you read letter D on under number three? Um, nature teaches us that every believer should be a soul winner. It is an essential part of the new nature. We see it in every child who loves to tell 
some of his happiness and to bring others to share his joys. It's awesome. Um, Miss Kathy, can you read letter E? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, next page, I just I'll highlight a couple things before we leave this evening. Uh, page five: the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, in your evangelism efforts, in, in your personal evangelism, let me help you uh, with something that will revolutionize how you reach people for Christ. You. You may want to write this down. This may, this may just, this might save you future headache. Actually, this might just save you a lot of trouble and trial in your personal ministry to others. Y'all ready? Yes. This is going to rock your world. <laughs> it's going to sound so profound, but it's so simple. You are not their savior. <laughs> okay. And, and we all can mentally assent to that, that yes I, I, yes, I am not their Savior, Jesus is their Savior. But how many times when you get into the middle of ministering to someone and you just, why aren't they getting this? Where am I failing? I can't believe I've screwed this up. They're going to hell because of me. Oh my goodness. Anybody ever been there before? Amen. I'm sure we all, amen, I'm sure we all have at some point, if, you're, if you've done any ministry with others, you've been there. But isn't it good to know, and isn't it so refreshing, that our job is to not be the Savior, our job is to plant seed and water the seed. That's it, the results are up to God. The results of that person's salvation, the results of where they end up, all up to God. You do your part. You pray. You sow the seed. You water. You pray. And let God take care of the rest. I find that the reason we become... Um, the, the reason we develop the Savior complex is uh, what the term I use. We have the Savior complex. The reason that we do that a lot of times is fear of failure and the need for control. Um, we want the results, and so in order to get the results that we want, we have to control it. Y'all are getting quiet, right? Yes, we're all there. And then fear of failure. Well, what will God think if they don't get born again? Or what will others think about me if this doesn't happen? And can I just liberate you on both of those accounts? One, you're never in control. <laughs> if you think you're in control, those who you know, it's those who need to uh, be in control that really aren't in control. You know that whole adage: uh, the more that you try to be in control, you're just trying to prove a point that you're not in control, really. <laughs> um, you know, we see this on all sorts of levels in leadership. Um, it happens in ministry. We tell people to lead with open hands. Freely you have received, freely give. <laughs> you know, we, we teach that in terms of you've received from God, but give, give it away. But the same is true of ministry. Uh, you know, at one point, God can give you... The, <laughs> take it. <laughs> at, one point, at one point, God can give it to you. She's, she's like, I don't have room for any more ministry. Don't give me anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, we freely we receive, but also freely give it away. Because at some point, at some point, all of us in ministry need to work ourselves out of a job. Yeah. Yeah. 
when I when I work myself, and even as the as the lead, my job is to work myself out of out of a job. Not meaning that I'm going somewhere, but but if I'm continually working to raise up other leaders. I'm moving on to the next. Okay, Hope Center's good. Okay, let's move on to the next. Okay, the children's ministry's good. Okay, let's move on to the next. And we just keep raising up leaders. It's awesome. That's the kingdom of God. So, freely receive, freely give. And then the, uh, so that's control. Let go of control. Let go of control. <laughs> um, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> um, let go and let God. Yeah, yeah, let go, let God. All of it. He's in he's in charge, you know. Um, and and one of the other things that I've noticed is a lot of times the reason we have to maintain control is because we feel like that's the only area of our lives we have control over. You know, in the chaos of life, especially, you know, illness and family drama, all those things start spinning and spiraling. And the one thing that we feel like we can maintain control over is this, you know, the blasted prayer cloth, you know. <laughs> there ain't nobody who can do cover people at the altar like I can cover people. Move it out of the way, sister. I'm going to I'm going to cover them up cuz nobody can do it like me. There's nobody who can stand stand at the door and open the door like I can open the door. I'm telling you, I know how to open that door. <laughs> you know, and, and it's true. It's it really is true. We and, and, and I totally get it. You know, sometimes those things are the only things we have control over. But let it go. <laughs> let it go. And just, you'll find that as you let it go, it'll multiply. Right, yeah. It's not until you sow your seed. It's not until you sow your seed that it multiplies. That's right. Yeah, that's good. So the tighter you hold on to it, the more that you're, you're robbing yourself of a blessing. Yeah. So... Heather said it today in the ushers meeting, and I'll you know they had a great ushers meeting, and we love our ushers. And one of the things that came out, and I, you'll have to remind me how you said it, um, but she was like, if Pastor Zach, you know, Pastor Zach sitting, because we usually sit over here, but if a new per, if a, this is a great example. <laughs> This is so wonderful. I see it was God you sat there. If a new person sits in his seat, guess what he's going to do? He's going to move. It doesn't matter. He's going to enjoy. It doesn't matter if his if Pastor Zach's rear imprint is on this pew. If somebody new comes in, he's going to sit there and make room for them, right? Of course, we all do. And again, that's all, you know, Heather was talking about that today with the ushers meeting. And I thought that's another great example with control. You know, we, we want to be comfortable. We want our, we want our spot. We want our, we want our comfort. But when you're reaching souls and you're evangelizing, you're doing ministry, it's not going to be comfortable. The more you try to control it, the less effective you're going to be. Just begin to share what God gives you. Just begin to share the love of Christ. Just love on people. Sow the seed and let cat you know, cast your bread on the water. Let it come back. So anyway, that's control. I think I've belabored that. And then the the uh, fear. Don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. I would rather have you share a testimony of a thousand failed attempts and the one time that's successful than have no attempts at all. That's right. Amen. Yeah. At least you're learning from those attempts. <laughs> yeah, right. 
the more that you, you know, you share your faith with someone, you're like, oh, I messed that up. I should have said this or I could have said that. Oh, okay, God. God, what can we do next time to do this different? Oh, I need to actually shut up and let the person talk. Okay. That, wow. <laughs> what a revolutionary idea. Yeah. Got it, God. Okay, let's do this. You know, it's funny. The Holy Spirit will teach you. Yeah. The Holy Spirit will help you. And, uh, you know, we'll teach and we'll help you. But really, the greatest thing that I can ever equip you with as a fivefold minister, the greatest thing I can ever equip you with is for you to learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit. Yes. He will teach you. He will lead you. He will direct you. He will give you the words to say, don't be fearful. Just launch out. Launch out in the deep. All right. I don't have uh, the time to go over five and six. As I said, I probably wouldn't. But I'll, I'll point out here, uh, number five, the five laws of persuasion. Um, salvation is spiritual, but there's also some very practical things in soul winning. And, and those five laws are, are five, the five laws of persuasion used in selling. And you may say, well, as a believer, I'm not a salesperson. Well, true. But it won't hurt to take a look at these. Um, Jesus used them with the woman at the well. And so this is a breakdown. The five laws of persuasion is a breakdown of Jesus' ministry to the woman at the well. So I'd encourage you to look at that. And then real quick, number six, where do we win souls? Where does personal evangelism begin? First off, it's real simple. We have on average, right now, on average, seven new people a week coming in our church doors. Seven. Which is wonderful. I love it. Amen. And and they I was thinking about this this morning. You know, every every time I do follow up with these folks, everybody's always saying, Man, you have the nicest church. People are so nice, so kind. And um that wasn't said eight months ago, actually. We had the opposite things being said eight months ago. Uh, so that, to me, is a huge change. That's a significant change that people say that. And we love that. But I look at the fact that we have seven. You know, last year we had over, we had close to 200 guests last year. It's awesome. But then I look, yeah, <laughs> you're doing the same. That pastoral gift is kicking in. You're saying the same thing that I would. Where are they at? Yeah. Where are they at? And so, we can be the nicest church in town. We can have the best worship in town. Not, uh, you know, and I think we have wonderful worship. Uh, we have, we have, we have great preaching and teaching and ministry. We have a great pastoral team. But that's not what keeps people. Yeah. What keeps people is the relationship. Yes. What keeps people is the personal fellowship and relationship. That personal evangelism. This morning, I'll close with this thought. It was a great example of this. You know, we had Lester. Lester and Vicky's uh, daughters were in town for his surgery. And uh, great, great girls. I mean, they just precious family. Of course, Lester and Vicky are, you know, they're just precious. Any, you know, anyway, we love Lester and Vicky. And uh, great, great daughters. One of them... Um, used to work for Zondervan and uh, whatnot. So she's, I guess she's born again. I, I never really asked Lester. They said that she was. Um, and then the other daughter from North Carolina it was not born again. And so they've just been praying for her, praying for her. And uh, this morning they were in service. And so, you, you know, I gave the altar call. And, you know, we had folks that came down just by the general altar call. And then I said turn to the person next to you 
You know, I sensed that the Holy Spirit was still dealing with people. Turn to the person next to you and ask them to come. Well, again, the power of personal evangelism. This is personal evangelism. And that, it, you know, it's so simple. It's so simple. And you can do this. You know, Heather did this. We had, there was one of the ladies in the back that raised her hand for salvation uh, when everybody's head was bowed, eyes closed. But, you know, a couple of us always keep our eyes, pastoral staff, leaders keep their eyes open to watch for these types of things. And this lady raised her hand, but she was too embarrassed to come down. And so Heather caught that and went back and brought her down. Do that. You know, as, as leaders, and, uh, you, know, you know, obviously you don't have to stand around. Oh, they raised their hand. You know, I got it. I got it. Okay, I'm watching. I got it. We're good. But, but if you see someone that raises their hand near you, personal evangelism, this is how it works. It's personal evangelism 101. Hey, I'm, I'm going to pick on Chris. Hey, I'm Chris, and uh, I would love to go to the altar with you today. If you want to make a decision for Christ, I'd love to go with you. And can I bring you? So simple, so easy. And that's really all you do. And they come. They just want a relationship. They want the personal evangelism. And so that's what Lester and Vicky did. Vicky or Lester turns to his daughter and says, You want to go? And they had a quick conversation and down they came. And she gave her life to Christ. She made a decision for Christ. It's awesome. It's personal evangelism. So um, and when we all get to heaven and, and we have to give an account for what we've done and the souls and the ministry. I'm going to be standing right up there saying, Go, Lester. You just won your daughter to the Lord. Yeah. Not about me. Yeah. Not about me. Look at what you've done. Look at what God's done in your life. Yeah. It's awesome. So, alrighty. Any questions as we close tonight? I'm excited about this class. I hope you've been encouraged. Great. Awesome. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.